you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We're almost there now, 26, 27, and 28. Three more chapters and we'll be done with Matthew. We've done it for, we've been in the book of Matthew for now, two years, almost two years. Uh, but I'm hoping to get through it and we'll start a new uh, book uh, soon. But for today, Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 16. If you have it, let's all stand as we read God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 16. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. They were angry, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, Judas sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated. Shall I pray with me one more time? Father, I want to thank you so much for this day. I want to thank you for your precious word this morning. We ask and pray for clear, clear communication of your word and that we will, learn, we will leave this place not only having a knowledge of who you are, not only having a knowledge of what Matthew 26 talks about, but a transformed heart because of your word that is living and active. Be with us, Lord. Awaken our hearts. Challenge us. Uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you guys are taking notes, title of today's message is worth it or a waste. Is it worth it or is it a waste? As we begin this morning, I have a confession. I have a confession. During my free time... I don't watch too much TV other than basketball and NBA, but now that's not uh, NBA season, season. One thing that I watch religiously uh, on YouTube is this web series called uh, Worth It. Has anyone seen this before? It's BuzzFeed. Uh, it's by BuzzFeed. It's called Worth It. And it's already on its sixth season, dating all the way back to 2016. And what they do on this show is that on each episode, they would visit three different restaurants. It was started in the U.S., now it's all over the world. They visit three different restaurants to try similar foods at three drastically different price points. So they have episodes on so many different types of food, like uh, sushi, pizza, Korean barbecue, and even coffee. Uh, in one of the episodes, the food was fried chicken. Uh, so the first place they visit is the most affordable option, which I don't think was very affordable, but it was priced at $17, a place in New York. 
uh, and I think it's still pricey, but $17, you get a piece of chicken, you get some collard greens, mac and cheese, and some cornbread. And then they would go to a second place, which is second uh, restaurant, which was like a mid-tier level, uh, which was priced at $27. It was very expensive for fried chicken. And then the grand finale, for the most over-the-top luxurious option, they go to a place where fried chicken is priced at $500. How many guys would pay $500 for fried chicken? Okay, no one raised your hands. Okay, this is a place right here. It's called Fried Chicken is served with caviar. It's served like pecking duck, where the entire fried chicken is sliced and served with different garnishes, and on top of that, it's served with different types of caviar. I still don't know if I would pay $500 for that. And with the drumsticks, you are encouraged to dip it in a basket of caviar like this to have as much caviar as you want on top of that fried chicken. Uh, this show is so addicting, not because uh, you get to see all the different types of food and the restaurants they get to visit, but you also get to see how the three similar foods from three different price points match up against each other. Uh, sometimes he says it's more worth it to choose the cheapest option, which I think always is the case, but on some, they say the most luxurious option is most worth it. Similarly, throughout the history, and even today, we see different responses when it comes to the gospel message. We see different responses when it comes to Jesus Christ. For some, they say it's worth it. They say it is worth giving up everything. They say it's worth giving up their Sunday mornings, giving up uh, everything that they have to follow Jesus Christ. But for others, they say it's a waste or it's not worth it as much. Especially when you compare it to maybe sleeping on Sundays or going on a weekend trip with your friends or especially watching football during NFL season, maybe it's not worth as much to follow Jesus Christ. So friends, the question I want to ask us this morning is what's it worth to you? As today's, today's title suggests, is it worth following Jesus or do you see it as a waste to come to church? Do you see it as a waste to call yourself a Christian? Do you see it as a waste to follow Jesus in your life? Or if worshiping Jesus and following Jesus is important to you, then how important is it in comparison to other things in your life? For one, Jesus was worth everything. But for the other, he wasn't worth risking his life for. And that's what we see in today's passage. Um, we see two different characters in today's passage. For one, Jesus was worth everything to her. But for the other, he was just trying to gain something from Jesus. Uh, now, before we take a closer look at the two drastically different responses towards Jesus, let's first look at the setting that this story is taking place, so the background or the setting. From verses 1 through 5, Matthew sets the stage for us. As Jesus is getting closer and closer to the cross, as Jesus is getting closer and closer to his crucifixion, he reminds his disciples yet again that he must be delivered up and he must be crucified. This means that Jesus is well aware of what is ahead of him, and he has been aware ever since he came into this world on Christmas Day. Meanwhile, while Jesus is well aware and he's telling his disciples what is to come, we see in verse 3 that the chief priests and the elders gathered in Caiaphas' palace 
is plotting to arrest Jesus and plotting to kill, this, kill Jesus. This has been happening. This, is, this plot has been happening ever since uh, earlier on in Matthew because time and time again, Jesus has been calling out these Jewish religious leaders in public saying how they are not the true priests or the true leaders of Israel. He is. He is the true Messiah. So the leaders gather together in the palace, and they're trying to plot this master plan by stealth in trying to arrest and kill Jesus. But they had to do it secretly, or they had to do it in stealth, as verse 4 mentions, because Jesus was such a public figure. He had too great of a following, especially during the Passover feast. So friends, isn't it interesting how Jesus already knew what was going on. He already knew it was God's plan all along that he was going to get arrested, be crucified, to rise again. But they thought in their mind that they had this master plan all set up. They were going to get Jesus arrested and killed. So then what's the big deal about the Passover? Because we see this taking place during Passover or two days before the Passover feast. If you guys know from the Old Testament, Passover was an annual feast. It was something that was celebrated every year, like, like uh, Easter and like Christmas. It's an annual festival in remembrance of Israel's exodus from Egypt. If you've read the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, they were once slaves in Egypt. Israelites were once slaves in Egypt. But through God's deliverance from Mo- uh, through Moses, they were rescued and set free into the promised land in Canaan. Now, in order for them to be set free, there were ten plagues that were sent to Pharaoh in Egypt. And the tenth plague was where all the firstborns of Egypt will be killed. Um, So during the tenth plague, God told the Israelites to sacrifice the lamb on their behalf, on the behalf of their firstborn, to take their place and to smear the blood across their doorpost. This was so that when the angels would come in in the night to kill all the firstborns in Egypt, when they see a doorpost that is smeared with blood, they would see that there has already been bloodshed. And they would pass over that household. It seems a bit violent and bloody, but it was how God redeemed his people. And this was what they celebrated during Passover. So during Passover each year, they would bring a sacrificial animal. For some, it would be a lamb. For some, they were too poor to... Uh, afford a lamb, so they would have maybe a different animal. And they would sacrifice it to atone for their sins. Because you see, in order for a Passover to happen in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, there had to be blood. There had to be bloodshed. There had to be some sort of blood to atone for the sin that you have committed. So during this Passover, Jesus has now come as the ultimate sacrifice, as the ultimate Passover lamb, who is about to usher in the ultimate Passover for his people to celebrate in remembrance of our deliverance from the slavery, not of Egypt, but slavery of sin. Through Jesus' sacrifice, through his death and his resurrection, we will now partake in the ultimate Passover. So the people in palace, the chief priests, the elders, and Caiaphas, they thought they were the ones who were plotting this all along. But in reality... Jesus knew what had had to take place. Jesus knew that he had to go to the cross, and he was well aware of all of this and what is ahead. So in the midst of all of this, in the midst of Jesus 
addressing and announcing that he will be crucified soon. And while the people, the leaders, were plotting to arrest and kill Jesus in the palace, in the midst of all this, we see a story of an unnamed woman and how she loved Jesus Christ. A woman who loved on Jesus as best as she could. This is interesting because unlike the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John, if you guys didn't know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in the New Testament, there are parallel stories of what is happening in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. But they're from all different angles, different perspectives. So for the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John, it is written in a chronological order, which is what we're often used to. But in the book of Matthew, it's not written in a chronological order. Matthew writes in a more of a thematic matter to give emphasis to a specific So in today's passage, the story of the unnamed woman, as you guys, some of you guys know, who breaks her alabaster jar to pour it on the head of Jesus, it actually takes place the Saturday before Palm Sunday, meaning it actually takes place chronologically the day before Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But when we look at today's passage in the book of Matthew, Jesus has already entered Jerusalem in Matthew 21. We're already on Matthew 26. So why does Matthew choose to go back all the way to the day before Palm Sunday to address this matter about this unnamed woman and what she did? I think there's a significance. Matthew does this to give a great contrast between the chief priests and the leaders in the palace who were trying to arrest and kill Jesus, as well as if you look right after in verse 14 to 16, one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, is trying to betray Jesus. And in between that, sandwiched in the middle is a story of an unnamed woman and her devotion and her love for Jesus Christ. Emphasis on the pure and loving devotion of this unnamed woman. I believe Matthew intentionally did this to give contrast to the two different responses to see if it's worth following Jesus or if it's a waste in following Jesus. So then let's look at how did she love Jesus? How did this unnamed woman love Jesus? I would say in short, she loved her, uh, she loved Jesus for, uh, she lo- her love for Jesus was foremost, costly, and innocent. So her love for Jesus was foremost, costly, and innocent. So first, she loved Jesus first and foremost, meaning she loved Jesus above all else. For her, Jesus was her utmost authority and her utmost priority. So as Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, she didn't think twice about breaking open her expensive jar of ointment to pour it on Jesus' head, because for her... Jesus was her ultimate. For her, Jesus was her utmost priority. However, for the disciples, they had a problem with this. We see, they thought it was a waste. They thought it was a waste for what this woman had done. Because you see, the perfume that she decided to pour all over Jesus' head, it could have been sold for a large sum of money. It could have been sold to help the people who are in need. It could have been sold to help the people who are homeless, who are poor. Now, Jesus had no problem with helping the poor. In fact, this is what he's been talking about previously in chapter 25, in loving your neighbors 
as you love God. But however, before you can love others, what Jesus is saying is, before you love others, you need to first and foremost love Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what she was doing. Now, I'm not saying the disciples didn't love Jesus because they wanted to help the poor. But what Jesus was getting at was the matter of priority. If helping the poor and loving others comes before loving Jesus, then Jesus is saying that's not really love at all. All the love, all the love that you have towards others has to stem from your love for Christ. Meaning Jesus has to be the first and foremost in our priority. Jesus goes on, goes as far as to say in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, whoever loves father or brother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, that's not giving you an excuse to go home and say, Mom, Dad, Bible tells me it gives me all the rights to not love you. That's not what the Bible is saying. In comparison to your love for God, in comparison for your love for Jesus, other loves in this world should seem less of a priority. Meaning, no horizontal relationship should ever compete for our attention and our devotion in your relationship to the vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. No horizontal relationship should ever compete for your love, for your devotion, in comparison to our vertical relationship with God. To the disciples, what the woman did was a waste. But for Jesus Christ, what she did was beautiful. Because he knew that she wanted to first and foremost give all that she had, all of her devotion, all of her love, to the only one who deserves it all. That's Jesus Christ. Friends, how about us? Do we place Jesus as our first and foremost? Or does he not even make it on the list? Because we have way too many things competing for our attention. Way too many things competing for our devotion and for our love. Friends, Jesus reminds us that we ought to love Jesus first and foremost. For many of us who call ourselves Christians, the issue is not that we don't love Jesus, but the issue is that we love too many other things plus Jesus. Jesus is just one of the things that we are interested in. He's just one of the things that we love, but he's not the ultimate in our lives. Jesus is reminding us that he needs to be our ultimate. So first, her love for Jesus was foremost. And second, her love for Jesus was costly. Costly. Some scholars say that the perfume that she carried in the alabaster jar was perhaps a family inheritance, meaning it's been passed down, handed down from generation to generation. However, before the foot of Jesus, before Jesus Christ, she didn't calculate regarding what's going to happen if she's going to get in trouble by her family. She wasn't calculating regarding how much this perfume was worth. She didn't think twice regarding what her family was going to think. But rather, we see an instant act of love as she broke the flask to pour over Jesus' head. So just how expensive or how costly was that perfume? I don't know what kind of cologne or perfume you guys use, but according to the parallel gospel in Mark, he tells us that it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, which is equivalent to a full year's wage for a common laborer. So one year salary. I don't know how much you guys make. Some of you are like, Pastor God, I don't make any money. I'm a student. Okay, eventually you will make money, but an average, an average salary maybe, if you were to compensate for everyone together, maybe it would be $30,000, 
So this perfume is worth equivalent to $30,000. That's a pretty expensive perfume. I don't think I've ever seen it. I actually researched online what is the most expensive perfume online. There's actually, uh, in the world, there's actually a couple perfumes that sell like $12,000 per ounce. I don't know what's in there, but better be like diamond and gold and some magic because for it to be sold for $12,000 an ounce, that's pretty ridiculous. But back in the day, this woman, this perfume was worth about $30,000. Yet for this woman, there was nothing else she would rather spend it on than to pour it on Jesus to display her love and her devotion for him. Now in sharp contrast, if we look from verses 14 to 16, in sharp contrast to this woman's devotion, we see this guy named Judas, one of the disciples. Judas, in verse 15, bargaining with the chief priests and the elders, saying, what are you willing to give me for Jesus? When this woman was willing to give all that she had for Jesus, Judas was saying, what are you willing to give me to hand over Jesus to you, to betray Jesus? Even after seeing with his very eyes, Judas, even after seeing what had just happened as the woman broke her alabaster flask to pour it on Jesus, Judas right after says, what are you willing to give me in return if I hand over Jesus to you? Judas was willing to hand over Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, we don't really have silver as currency nowadays, but according to history, 30 pieces of silver was often a penalty paid by the owner of an ox that accidentally killed a slave. Meaning that if you owned an ox, I don't know how many of you guys owned a cow, probably not, right? Back in the day, if you owned an ox and it happened to somehow kill a slave of another owner, then you would have to pay a penalty and give the other owner 30 pieces of silver for the slave and the slave's family. This is equivalent to about four months' wage, which is about, what, $7,500 in modern terms? So this shows that while the woman, the unnamed woman, was willing to pour even her family inheritance all at the foot of Jesus, for Judas, as well as the religious leaders, Jesus was only worth the price of a slave. While the woman gave generously and costly, Judas wanted to gain, and he was greedy. Friends, how are we in this manner of devotion. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 and 39, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, but whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Just as the woman takes up her cross in the form of pouring out not some, not little bit, not half of her bottle, but all of it on the head of Jesus, I believe we as the church ought to follow her lead. Friends, following Jesus and loving Jesus is costly. If you were to evaluate your walk with Jesus, your devotion and your love for Jesus, what's it costing you? Maybe for some of us, it's costing us our precious Sunday mornings where we could sleep in. Or maybe it's costing us a little more than that. I've heard complaints in the past from our church, uh, from, from members of our church saying that our church is a little too time-consuming. To come to church on a Sunday morning and stay until after lunch, where you don't have to pay for lunch, but it's provided for you free, is a too big of a time slot for their busy schedule. Friends, if I can be just frank, 
If you call yourself a Christian, yet you feel as though it's not costing you anything, then maybe you're not really following Jesus. Let me say this again. If, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, yet it's not costing you anything to follow Jesus, then maybe you're not following Jesus. Maybe we give Jesus our half-hearted worship on Sundays. Maybe we give Jesus just our lip service as we sing songs, we say we're Christian, we say we read the Bible, we say we pray. It's not costing us that much. Let me ask us, friends, what are some of your alabaster jars that we think is too valuable, too costly for us to give up to follow Jesus? We have no problem with following Jesus as long as he doesn't mess with our non-negotiables. As long as he doesn't ask us to give up what we love the most. What if Jesus asks you to give up your careers? What if, what if he asks you to give up some of your salary, to take a pay cut to go serve somewhere overseas? What if Jesus asks you to give up your, maybe a portion of your life to commit to the church or to commit to his mission? Brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that we will be humbled by this passage, by this woman who gave all that she had to follow Jesus Christ. For some of us, he's not even worth a penny. Now, I, I don't really, I'm not really um, a fan of pastors always talking about how members of the church should give more offering to the church. But if I can be honest, I've been at this church for now about five, six, this is my sixth year going in. There's some of you guys who've never gave offering. I'm not saying you need to give offering, and because you give offering, there's more you are more blessed. But if you believe in the vision of the church, if you if you call yourself a Christian, and if you want to invest in the kingdom of God, how can you call yourself a Christian if you spend money on other things of this, of this world yet you have no interest in give offering for the kingdom of God? I think it has to do with your heart. I don't want to hear that. And I am against prosperity gospel who say, give more money to the church, give more money to God, and God will bless you more. No, even if God doesn't bless you more, I'm sure he will, but in monetary terms or in possession terms, even if you give all that you have in a costly manner and you feel as though in a realistic sense God's not blessing you with much, you need to have a kingdom mindset. You're investing in the kingdom everlasting. Not in the kingdom that you're living in the world right now, but the kingdom that awaits afterwards. I genuinely believe, if you want to know if a person is a mature Christian or not, ask them if you could see their bank statement and see what they're spending their money on. Because that's where your heart is at. So what's it costing you? What's Jesus worth to you? For this unnamed woman, her love for Jesus was foremost. Her love for Jesus was costly. And last but not least, her love for Jesus was innocent. Innocent. Back in the day, perfume or ointments were often used not for you to smell better, but it was to anoint guests or for medicine. So whenever a guest would enter your house, maybe if you have a housewarming party, if you invite guests for dinner, you would anoint them at the door as they enter with oil. 
This is what she was doing to Jesus, just an ordinary custom, yet she was doing it with the very best she could because that's how much she loved Jesus Christ. However, little did she know, without even her knowing, in her, in her innocence, without even her knowing, she was anointing the Messiah. The word Messiah literally means anointed one in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, only, through, only three groups were considered anointed. They were the priests, the uh, prophets, and the kings. Jesus Christ is actually all three of them. Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah who is the priest, who not only mediates between us and God, but he is our ultimate sacrifice to atone for our sins. Jesus Christ is also the king, the king of kings who comes to rule his people in the kingdom everlasting. And last but not least, Jesus Christ is the great high prophet who is not only a messenger of God, but he is actually the word of God himself as the word became flesh. So not only was she anointing Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, as the prophet, king, and priest, but she was also preparing, without even knowing, she was preparing Jesus for his proper burial. Back in the day, probably now too, but back in the day, a dead body tends to smell. So a dead body would be drenched in perfume to cover the smell or the stench. But for Jesus, he would not receive proper burial because he would be crucified on the cross. And without knowing all of this, God somehow miraculously and sovereignly planned for this unnamed woman to give Jesus a proper burial before his crucifixion. Without even knowing, despite her ignorance, or I'd like to say it as despite her innocence, her love for the Lord led to preparing Jesus for God's will to be done. Meaning she was partaking in God's kingdom work without even knowing because she was so in love with Jesus Christ. Friends, how about us? We often ask this question, don't we? Does faith come first or does knowledge come first? Do we have to know everything before we believe? More often than not, in the world that we're living in today, we want to be convinced first before we believe. Yeah, I want to know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ and the Bible, and then maybe I'll consider if I should believe or not. That's not really believing. You're asking them to sell it to you. You're asking them to convince you. You want to know everything, and then you say you'll believe. If I can be honest, we're so opinionated nowadays that we want to debate and argue about anything and everything because we want to either be convinced or we want to convince others. Right? There's like so many different channels on YouTube that just constantly debate and argue about like the most useless topics. And I don't think they even know what they're even arguing about. The whole point is just they want to be opinionated. They want to have a voice. Everyone can have a voice, right? However, what led this woman to, a, to be forever remembered by Jesus Christ and everyone who hears this gospel message was not her intelligence, was not her knowledge, but it was her Innocence. It was not her ability to debate, but it was her ability to submit and to obey. Her innocence, her childlike love that led her to be part of God's amazing and incredible kingdom work. Perhaps some of us here, as we listen to the story of this amazing woman, are encouraged, amazed, motivated, and challenged by her love for Jesus. Well, maybe for some of us, we hear stories like this in the Bible. And we're discouraged. We're not motivated. 
Maybe we've gone through all the Christianity ups and downs and we feel as though our Christian life, our Christian walk has come to a standstill. Maybe we resonate more with the chief priest or we resonate more with Judas in a way where we don't, really want to, we don't really want Jesus to get in the way of our life. We don't really want Jesus to mess with our career. Maybe you're going through something that you feel as though you can't really share with anyone, but you feel a little lost. You feel a little hopeless or lonely. Friends, I got good news for you. I got great news for you. When we go back and look at this passage, we see that it's focusing on the love that this unnamed woman had for Jesus. But if you look a little bit closer, we see a greater love story on not how she loved Jesus, but on how Jesus loved his people. So second, how he loves Just as the woman placed Jesus first and foremost in her priority, this is how Jesus looks at us. He first loved us. Despite our sin, despite our rebellion, he was the one who first and foremost initiated to be in a loving relationship with us. Not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, but because he couldn't help but to love us. He was the one who sent his son from heaven to earth on a rescue mission to love us, and to rescue us. And even before we were even born, we see in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God reminds us that he knew us. How many people could say that, right? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This means that God chose us to be his before he even gave us life. It's incredible. Not only was his love for us foremost, but it was also very costly for him. For Jesus, in order for him to love us and rescue us, he needed to lay down his life for us. When no other gods in any religion, if you guys ever studied religion, there's no God in any other religion who would ever die for their followers. But we have our God in Jesus Christ, who first and foremost gave his life for us so that through him we may have eternal life. Crazy. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, or by his wounds, we are healed. Even when we're trying to calculate to see what's going to cost us, if it's even worth following Jesus in the first place, it was worth laying down his life for us. For Jesus, it was worth laying down his life. Although this grace that is available to us is free, right? Although this grace and this mercy and this love that is available to us is freely given to us, for Jesus it costed him his life. The debt that we owe for our is so great. The debt that we owe for our sin is so grand that only a God could atone for our sins. Jesus had to die so that we can live. Even when so many people shouted that Jesus' life and death was such a wasted life. For Jesus, we were worth dying for. For he was willing so that in and through him we may have eternal life. People thought Jesus dying on the cross is probably the most pitiful way to die. Yet for Jesus... He claims it's perhaps the most beautiful thing because through it, he gave life to so many. Last but not least, foremost costly and then innocent. Jesus' love for us is innocent, or in another word, 
pure. Although Jesus was tempted just like us, he lived a perfect, sinless, and obedient life. Jesus had to be innocent, and Jesus had to be pure to be eligible to become our substitute on the cross. Although he was pure, although he did nothing wrong, right? he was literally innocent, he took on all the shame, he took on all the guilt, he took on all of our sin once and for all on the cross to remind us that no sin, no shame, no guilt is too great for Jesus that he cannot wash away. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are now free to love, and we are now free to be loved by him. So as we close, I want to ask us, how do we love? How is your love for Jesus Christ. Or another way we could ask this question is, what's it worth to you? Or another way to ask is, is he worthy of your sacrifice? You think you're actually sacrificing your Sunday mornings or sacrificing some of your salary or sacrificing some of, some of your time and your energy, but rather than asking, is it worth it to follow Jesus? I think we've got to ask, is he worthy? Is he worthy of your worship? Is he worthy of your love? Is he worthy of your devotion? Or is he only worth your half-hearted, divided, lip service, counterfeit faith? Are you greedy like Judas who wants to simply gain from Jesus, calculating to see how much you can gain from Jesus without really loving Jesus in return? Or is your love like the unnamed woman who is first and foremost, ultimate, are you willing to follow Jesus even if it costs you? Or is your love for Jesus, in, and is your love for Jesus, in, Jesus innocent like a child? I pray that we will truly treasure Jesus above all else. That we will see the worth and the beauty of following and loving Jesus. Because once you get a taste, you will realize there's nothing better. There's nothing greater. Before we close, I just want us to listen to this song. Some of you guys know this song. It's a song um, by Chris Tomlin called uh, he is, is He Worthy? Or He Is Worthy? So as we listen, I want us to really meditate on the lyrics, uh, and then we'll close. Okay, so let's uh, watch this real quick.
pray. Can we just pray as we ask ourselves, is he really worthy of our life, our devotion, our love, our everything? Let's pray that Jesus will not only be worthy of our half-hearted leftover worship, but that he'll be worthy of our very best, of our everything. Even if it seems costly at the moment, I pray that we will be more than willing to pour everything that we have all before Jesus to be used for his kingdom work. And even when the world might label, of, label us a fool, even when the world tells us that our life is such a waste as we spend our Sundays here, as we devote our lives to live for his kingdom and not our own, not of this world, let's live to be seen by Jesus and only him because to him he sees us as beautiful. Because to him, we are worth dying for. So is he worthy? I pray that we will be able to proclaim from the top of our lungs that he is more than worthy of all that we have. To pray for about a minute or so, asking ourselves, uh, Lord, help me. Help me to just really um, give all that I have to live for you. And for some of us, maybe we need to uh, remind ourselves, maybe we need to reevaluate the way we are living our lives as a so-called Christian, yet in reality, we've got nothing to show for. I'm not saying you should show it. You should do it to just to be seen by others. But ultimately, we should show our devotion to Jesus Christ. How is our devotion towards him? Let's pray and ask him, God, help me to be more devoted to you. Help him to give you our first and foremost and make you the ultimate of our lives. I pray for about a minute before we go into a time of response. Let's pray.